I'm Chris Doolin, and you're listening to Discussing Trek. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek Discovery podcast, an unofficial podcast about the CBS all-access series Star Trek Discovery. Today, guys, we're going to do a very short review of the book Fear Itself uh, featuring Saru. So, guys, if you didn't know what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek Discovery in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek. And this certainly is one of those all things Trek things, which, you know, we've talked about the comic books and the other two novels, Desperate Hours, Drastic Measures. And we're going to briefly talk about the book Fear itself, hot off the heels of the short trek, The Brightest Star War, we got a little more of the backstory of Saru, a little of his upbringing on Kaminar and how he was saved by a Starfleet officer that is on Star Trek Discovery. Uh, I guess I'll leave that to you if you haven't seen that, but it's a good, a good thing that we see one of the Star Trek Discovery crew members at the very end of how Saru flees his pre-warp civilization of Kaminar, which is I found very interesting. And before we get into that actual review slash recap, I just want to tell you guys, we do have a Patreon, which can be found at patreon.com slash discussing Trek, as well as a YouTube page, which you can find by going to youtube.discussingtrek.com, where we have, we're starting a Who Is series where we're going to talk about each of the characters of Star Trek Discovery and more, as well as recapping each of the short treks in video form, which you can find again at youtube.com. DiscussingTrek.com. We would love your subscription, so please go and check that out, guys. So anything past here is going to be a spoiler, so we'll go ahead and drop that spoiler bumper right here. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. Star Trek Discovery Fear Itself, released on June 5th, 2018. Fear Itself is the third book in the series of Star Trek Discovery pocket novels. It was written by New York Times bestselling author James Swallow. In addition to writing Fear Itself, he's written many other Star Trek books and other science fiction tie-ins, including one for Doctor Who. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, so... Fear itself. What does that title suggest? Uh, it suggests that we'll be diving to how fear drives each and everything Saru does and is, uh, how it is a part of him and how it makes him a better or worse officer. Uh, in his pursuit to become a commanding officer, how will it, how will this, how will this drive him? How will this affect him? Does this fear hinder or help uh, him when following protocol or being a commanding leader? Uh, I think we could definitely see how it could hinder him. And we see also where we'll see in this book where Saru uh, actually envies Burnham's uh, ability to adapt to tweak protocol in certain cases to get stuff done. Have that gusto, that that pursuit that many of the command officers uh, have. Uh, we talk about the prime directive and how it is this commanding, how is this overarching rule, which is often broken <laughs> by, by the very Starfleet members who meant to uphold it. So uh, having that command intuition to know where you can kind of go off script and do things just a little bit differently. So I think that's what Saru is pursuing and he is yearning after 
in this book and maybe we get a little clarification of how he actually achieves that and how it can actually get him into trouble, which I think it does <laughs> in this book, most certainly. So I'm going to ha- go ahead and read the back cover jacket of the book. Lieutenant Saru is a Kelpian, a member of a prey species born on a world overrun by monstrous predators and a being who very intimately understands the nature of fear. Challenged on all sides, he is determined to surpass his origins to succeed as a Starfleet officer aboard the USS Shinzo. But when Saru breaks protocol in order to prove himself to his crewmates, what begins as a vital rescue mission to save a vessel in distress soon escalates out of control. Forced into a command role he may not be ready for, Saru is caught between his duty and the conflicting agendas of two antagonistic alien races. To survive, he would need to seek a path of peace against all odds and risk compromising the very idea he has sworn to uphold. So kind of how we're going to do this review is go through each of those, maybe those sentences that we talked about there in the introduction to kind of break it down and how it plays out throughout the book. But what is this book about? And in addition to that introduction, uh, it, it, the book is just that it's overcoming the fear to break the status quo. Uh, Saru going a bit further and how that may or may not get him in trouble. You know, also Saru pursuing this need to prove himself. Prove himself not only to Captain Giorgio, which is pre- pretty obvious that he wants to prove himself to her, but prove himself to Burnham, who he has this combative brother sister ish type relationship with. And also, you know, prove himself to his uh, crewmates as well as to himself that he can actually overcome this fear and become a competent leader. So that's what uh, I think the book is all about. And I think Saru uh, does that in, in large strides. So when does this book take place? The historian note reads that this story takes place in the year 2256. That is a whole four years before the battle at the binary star. Just to give you a bit of context where these guys are along this journey. So there you go. Four years before the battle at the binary stars when discovery kicks off. And before going back through maybe the rough outline we get in the introduction, the back jacket of the book, I want to just go through each of the players in the book real quick. Of course, you have Philippa Giorgio and you have Saru, of course. Maybe I should have mentioned him first. <laughs> in addition to um, another notable player is Chief Engineer Johar, Commander Johar, as well as uh, Michael Burnham and Incent Wheaton. Uh, on the Pillar side, which we'll talk about the Pillars in just a second, you have a character called Hicken and Ithal. On the Goreland side, you have this main central nexus or hub character, as well as this commander for the Goreland that is on the ship called Vetch, as well as the Tholians that play a part in this book. So we know who the Starfleet crew is, you know, the crew of the Shinzo. Uh, but we also let's talk real quick about the other players uh, that I just mentioned, the Pillars. The Pillars are from a planet called Pillarzel, which has an A and B moon. Uh, they are seen in this story uh, transporting or, or, or in a vessel in distress, a vessel in distress. And we find that that vessel in distress had actually been sabotaged. It had been sabotaged. That's the whole reason why it's in distress. It has been, it had been sabotaged by another group of aliens that are, you know, 
when 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 the Starfleet first encounters this ship, they're not too quick to mention the other people that are on the ship that they're hauling in this cargo vessel, in this transport vessel away from their home planet, which we find the other group of people that are on this ship are called the Gorlands. The Gorlands, again, which I mentioned, they are they have this central zealous or religious type figure called the hub. Well, let me tell you first about why 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 they're in this transport going to some other planet that is that is held by the Piliars. So the Gorlands actually lived deeper within uh, Tholian space. And at some point, the Tholians just decided, uh, you got to get out of here. We don't want you in our space. So the 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 Gorlands were actual refugees on the moons, the A and B moons of Piliarzel. So after some time, I guess the Piliars did not want them on their moons any longer. I think they had a rather combative relationship between the two races, and they located a beautiful, beautiful M class planet where they can go and reside and live with their race all by themselves. <laughs> so that's kind of what was going on. The Piliars were transporting the Gorlands from their home moon planet, the home planet of Piliarzil and their A and B moons. They were trans- transporting them to this new, beautiful, sprawling M-class planet, or so we're told. So those are the, 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 the two races there, the Piliars, uh, as they are in the book in the, the Gorlands, as well as the Tholians play a role in this. And I'm going to back up to the outline and introduction to kind of tie all these things together just a bit. But first, I want to talk about how we see Saru in the opening of this book. And a very cool chapter, I must admit. In the opening chapter, we see how Saru has these Fear exercises, fear, uh, fear exercises, what I'm going to call them. He has a personal hollow projector in his quarters, which gives him random scenarios of possible threats that could be lurking around in his midst. Uh, I think the example we get in the book is a cup that actually turns into an alien, spe- alien species and attempts to attack him. And he has these scenarios running all the time that actually are meant to test his um, readiness, his alertness to any possible dangers that may be in his area. I found they're pretty cool. Like, you know, some of us may be trying to keep our memory sharp or our uh, intellect sharp or whatever skill, musician, whatever skill you have. We do things as humans to try to keep those things sharp and, you know, Saru seeing fear or the ability to the ability to detect fear as being a central part of his character. We see where in his personal quarters, he is always honing that skill to make it better, to make it more sharp. And, you know, it it gives you a little insight onto into what actually drives this guy. You know, the fear is a central part of him. And again, I mentioned like how that fear actually uh, may deter or help him in his ability to uh, to pursue his ultimate goal that he feels is being a captain, being a captain of a Starfleet, Starfleet vessel. How can he do that with this certain fear um uh, pulling him down or maybe detracting from all of the qualities that are needed to be a Starfleet captain. So yeah, that was a pretty good part of the book and I wanted to mention it before I went on. 
And maybe that explains the first paragraph of the introduction we got. Lieutenant Saru is a Kelpie and a member of a prey species born on a world overrun by monstrous predators and a being who very intimately understands the nature of fear. So that's an example of him understanding that nature of fear. And um, and again, uh, the next the next little part uh, challenge on all sides. He is determined to surpass his origins to succeed as a Starfleet officer aboard the USS Shinzo. You know, we have to kind of um, think of where Saru is coming from as the first Kelpian in Starfleet, maybe even the first Kelpian to leave the planet of Kaminar under his own will. Of course, we see in that short trick where uh, Kelpians are offered up to the Bayul, but, you know, they are a pre-warp civilization. So maybe he's the first the first Kelpian to leave the planet of his own volition, of his own will. So, you know, he feels like a lot of weight of is on his shoulder, his shoulders being, you know, maybe the first protege of, of, um, Captain Giorgio. Uh, <laughs> he feel like he has a, a lot to prove to, you know, himself, crew, captain, and even his own planet, his own race uh, of people. Yeah. So, the next paragraph here. When Saru breaks protocol in order to prove himself to his crewmates, what begins as a vital rescue mission to save a vessel in distress soon escalates out of control. So we have to ask ourselves, why would Saru, this individual is who is so attuned to doing things by the book the right way, uh, Starfleet protocol. <laughs> Why would he actually break protocol in this situation? Well, it's a, a few things that spurs this on. Uh, one is seeing how Burnham has the ability, ability to break protocol or tweak protocol in certain, certain situations to get stuff done. And this is actually laid out in a book in a, in a pre, in a scenario early on where, uh, the whole reason the Shinzo is in at this Tholian Federation border. Um, the whole reason they're there is because the, a monitoring buoy has went out, went bad, stopped working. Something happened to the monitoring buoy and they are there to not only replace the monitoring buoy, but also investigate what happened to it. And that is Burnham's and Saru's charge or their, that's their mission um, in the early part of this book is to figure out what happened to that monitoring buoy. And we talk about Saru's um, ability to prove himself or trying to prove himself or or surpass his origins or surpass this fear that's innate in him. Uh, we see early on where him and Burnham are having this conversation and he's taking the uh, measured reserve re- approach of not beaming the, the disabled buoy upon the, aboard the Sinjo of not wanting to go out there in environmental suits and actually look at the buoy and investigate it. You know, just a bit of fear there where we see in the book uh, after he had his had this conversation with Burnham, the buoy Burnham has already beamed the buoy aboard and start dissecting it. So, you know, maybe this is the point where he feels like he has to go a little bit further to investigate to um, 
figure out what things are going, how things are going in certain situations and become more of that, uh, have more of that gusto to become more of a take charge kind of guy, if you know what I mean. So, I mean, it happens. They're there to investigate this buoy. One thing leads to another. They notice there's a Nadian pulse in the neutral zone in between the Tholian Federation border. And this Nadian pulse, this Nadian burst um, leads them to go investigate the ship, which uh, we find out is a ship of a is a Piliar ship. It's a Piliar Zell vessel. And while they're helping this vessel, uh, rather reluctantly, I might add, because the Piliars do not want do not want the Federation help in this situation. But while there, Saru has to go to a certain part of the ship to disable um, a, a, a secondary unit or something. He has to go to a different part of the ship for some reason to disable um, to disable something that might be causing the ship to explode. So while they're there to render aid to this vessel, Saru being a little bit nosier than he should have his curiosity, you know, again, his um, leads him to notice that there's another group of people aboard this PLR ship, which are the Gorlands, which are being transported away to uh, this other M-class planet I was talking about, which would be their new home. So he figures this out and, you know, Saru could have left it at that. He could have certainly left at that. He he meets some of the people. He meets his lady called the Hub, which is kind of their religious leader. But he he, he could have left it at that. But Saru's curiosity, what is it? Curiosity killed the the cat. Am I saying that right? I don't. If I'm wrong, let me know. <laughs> but his curiosity got the best of him. And while you know Captain Giorgio had talked with the leaders of the Pillar vessel, um. He could have left it at that, but something, something in him would not allow him to let the situation die or to let the situation, um, go. And we see after Saru has came back to the Shinzo, talked to the captain about what, about this other race of people that are being hauled away. Looks like seemingly against their will. Um, he in turn breaks orders and you know, breaking protocol. He's he's taking initiative here. He breaks orders, goes back to the Pillar vessel and tries to get more information about this group of Gorlands that are being hauled slash traveled slash transported to this new M-class planet. So, I mean, that is the rules plight in this in this story. <laughs> One thing leads to another. We find out that, oh, uh, well, this Nadian pulse that disabled the ship, uh, that really wasn't faulty equipment. It was actually the Gorlands doing this to the Piliar vessel. So they actually are the ones who stopped the Piliar vessel in an attempt to take command of it. Meanwhile, all this is happening on the doorstep of the Tholian assembly. So, yeah, um, they are getting wind of this. And of course, they would be monitoring the whole situation. So what I think is a defining moment in the book, uh, we see where the Gorlands take over the Piliar vessel uh, before Starfleet can actually uh, finish the repairs and leave. We see where the Gorlands um, take over the Pillar vessel and they are using the Starfleet people as hostages. Um, and, you know, 
I can't really blame Saru for wanting to render help, but the fact is he, him going against uh, orders um, and being caught up in the midst of these two races that are, you know, at odds with each other. Um, he puts himself in this weird situation where, you know, now they're on the ship. I mentioned uh, Commander Johar, the chief engineer. He's on this this away mission with them for obvious reasons to fix, fix the Piliar vessel. But we see where it's not really a coup because they're not even part of the ship. But but these people, these Gorlands that are part of the ship attempt to take over the ship once again while the Starfleet members are aboard. In the midst of a battle, we see Johar the commanding officer on the vessel for Starfleet at that point gets shot and inundated. Um, and all of a sudden, lo and behold, Saru is out of his depths. He is thrust into the, um, the commanding officer role for this ship that is having this war between these two races and is headed for this M class planet. In the meantime, Saru has to make this very, very, a hard decision. They instruct to Saru to target the Shinzo so it will not follow them. And <laughs> of course, Saru targets it in a way that doesn't destroy the vessel, but he's, he has his choice. Either I do it or let them do it and they could possibly destroy the vessel. vessel. So he strategically tar- targets the Shinzo to disable it, but not kill everyone aboard, which still has to be hard to target your own ship. So again, like we see where Saru is thrust into this command position where he has to lead his people that are aboard this vessel and, um, Try to make the best of the situation. So this is the part of the outline. It says force into a command role. He may not be ready for. So it's called between his duty and the conflict, conflicting agendas of two antagonistic races to survive. He would need to seek a path of peace against all odds and risk compromising his very ideas. He is sworn to uphold. So I think part of that very idea is being able to <laughs> fire on his own ship. First of all, and you know, from here on out, we, the whole, the rest of the book, as far as, you know, this transport vessel and Saru and the Gorlands and the Piliars, it's all about Saru very expertly, in my opinion, opinion, being able to navigate between the two in order to a get the vessel where it's going in one piece to have these two races not kill each other <laughs> before they get there and um, work against his will to help these guys uh, while in the midst of that, he's trying to bring them the two sides together uh, ultimately um, before the end of the book is over. So we see that we see where Saru is working with the Gorlands rather reluctantly we see where Saru and this instant Wheaton, they pretty in a pretty cool move. They uh, reprogrammed the computer to react to Saru's certain command uh, that allows him to take over the vessel uh, near the end of the book, which I thought was awesome. Um, so you have that. And also we can't, Forget about, I'm going to leave out some few things here because there is this point where you have, um, you have another Piliarzel ship that comes to actually <laughs> take, take over the Piliar transport, but that's near the end. Um, and, and, and those two ships end up working together at the end of the book somewhat. 
but but again, you have Saru uh, being thrust into this command position, and that's fearful for him. He's overcoming something that um, he wants to to be, which is a commanding officer, but he doesn't know if he can really do that. And not only him, but the rest of the crew that are on the ship with him question Saru's ability to lead them through the situation. You know, they almost feel like he's betraying them, like he's working with these Gorlands and he is is going against his Starfleet ideas. And, you know, and they have good reason to believe that because Saru has never really shown anything um, to this point, I think, that has really gave, given them reason otherwise to think that he'd be, be, able, be competent in this situation. And of course, I didn't mention, but the commander Johar in this this attempt by the Gorlands to take over the ship got got shot and got he didn't get killed, but he got, you know, incapacitated. And, you know, Saru has been thrust into this position to try to lead this group of Starfleet officers through this this time. And, you know, um, and that's about it. I will say he does get through it. Of course, he does get through it. Um, and rather expertly, in some ways, I feel um, one of the things that brings these two warring groups together, these Gorlands and these Piliars aboard this transport vessel. And then there's this big dramatic space fight at the end, which I'll just briefly talk about. But one of the things that gets them to work together is the threat of the Tholians. And isn't that always the thing seemingly that gets two sides who may not totally agree to start working together to get on the same page, you know, um, uh, yeah, our, us Americans will fuss each other all the time, but when there's an outside threat, we'll, we'll band together to defend said threat. You know, not just America. I know this people are listening from other places, but wherever you are, um, we are, we will very much fight among ourselves, but you know, when there's an outside threat, we will band together. That's kind of what the Piliars and the Gorlands do in this situation. Um, you know, the Piliar see the Gorlands as a very primitive species, which they are in some ways, in, in some ways. But <laughs> I think Vetch said it best. One of the leaders from the from the Gorlands, he says, we only we choose not to show how smart we are. You know, they are a very, very smart species, as witnessed by Saru's um Saru's communicator, uh, a universal translator being updated <laughs> by one of the Gorlands. They actually fixed it so they can talk better. So this is a vase of people who seem very primitive, but um, have a lot going for them. They just choose not to show it all. But, you know, when it came to running the Piliar vessel, once we see the Tholians are the real threat and the Piliars and Gorlands are forced to work together, we see where... Um, Saru elicits the help of the religious zealot, the hub, um, whom, whom has the ability to, uh, communicate telepathically with the rest of her race, which was pretty cool, um, hive like, um, interaction where she can make these, this team work synergistically, uh, and work together to operate the Piliar vessel more efficiently. So that was cool. Um, one of the other things in the book is that we see where the Piliars 
are so sure of themselves that they're doing the right thing by transporting this vessel to this new M-class planet somewhere. But we find out once to get there that this quote unquote, I'm doing quotes now, M-class planet is actually a dump. It's just a, it's a rock. It's like there's no life vegetation there. And wow. Wow. And even the, the two Pillars aboard uh, the Pillar vessel transport, they, even 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 they are shocked that their people would allow something like this to happen, um, that um, Hicken and at all. Uh, they are shocked that, you know, they had been lied to that this planet that they're sending this entire race of people to is actually just a big rock which can which can barely at barely support life and they're you know they find there's plenty of transports that came before them that are actually on that planet so um long story short you know um they are they are pursued by the tholians because it's so close to the tholian space because it's so close they are seeing this this people there, and especially Starfleet aiding them, they are seeing this as a threat. Meanwhile, the Shinzo is on its way to to um, having repaired their vessel because Russo expertly didn't destroy everything when he fired upon them. Um, is is headed that way to aid in to help them against the Tholians. And I don't know. I, I found that the fight between the Tholians and and Starfleet was. Um, the Tholians and the Pilar vessel was a very good fight. And one of the maneuvers slash moves, actually there were two that I really want to point out that in the latter half, of this book is mostly the fight or the battle. And there's two to three moves I want to point out that I thought were really cool and showed like Saru had that expert command ability um, that he so yearned to see if he actually had. And, he does this one awesome move to where, you know, these these Tholian ships, uh, dart like ships are so fast and nimble and they could never really hit them. They could never really land a blow. And at one point they enticed one of these vessels to come in close. And when they got in close, they did this. Very, very cool move, which I don't know if I've seen done. Maybe it has been done. I just don't know of it. But once it got in close, they locked it with a tractor ring for like two seconds and then fired upon it, which I thought that was pretty cool. I, I've never seen that done. But to let the to entice the enemy to get in close, hit it with the tractor beam and then shoot at the almost the exact same moment. Uh, that's a maneuver that Saru and Wheaton pulled off, which I thought was pretty freaking awesome. Also, there's another move that, you know, Saru in this command role in this alien vessel, um, doing everything he can to survive, even though the odds are not on their side. There's just another expert move that he pulls off where uh, I mentioned that this being a transport, this transport having a bunch of cargo, cargo containers attached to it. Um, but he does this excellent move against the Tholians where they go into this light roll and play dead. They vent plasma at the very same time and they release the cargo containers from the vessel having already moved all the people out of the cargo containers into the main ship. They released these cargo containers at the same time. 
and kind of just go into this spin and kind of play dead at the same moment um, as the Tholian ships pursue within the cargo vessels within the released cargo containers, they um, they let a charge out that actually ignites the gas that they vented and destroys a few more of the Tholian vessels. So I thought that was pretty cool. But again, like in the overall scope of the book, I think it shows Saru doing so many good things. It shows him having a command in battle. It shows him being able to pull these two different races of Piliars and Gorland together to work together by the end and form alliances and become friends by the end of this book. It shows him, like I said, in war against Tholius and doing rather expert job, in my opinion. It shows him leading his crew who are not so sure that Saru is suited to lead um to lead the Starfleet officers in in the wake of uh, Commander Johar uh, being incapacitated or or um, shot to the point where he couldn't, you know, come out of uh, come come wake up and talk and and give orders. So I think this is this book is all about Saru overcoming his fear and Saru getting his wings. He gets his wings in his book and I just love it so much. And I see a lot of those things we see by the end of season one of Star Trek Discovery in how he commands. And it makes me know that, oh, he's, he's tried and true. He's been through some stuff, you know, <laughs> he's been through some very, very hard times. And of course, you know, Saru has the answer for all he's done eventually to Captain George O. And, um, but he's he he was in a situation from his own creation um, by prying just a little too much by letting his curiosity get him by taking the initiative to return to the Piliar vessel, maybe against direct or maybe not against direct orders, but indirectly defying orders to go back to the Piliar vessel and investigate and ask more about what's going on with these Gorlands, which leads to him being um, captured and used as a ploy in a coup attempt by the Gorlands against the Piliars on that Piliar vessel. Um, so just a lot of good things in this book. You know, I feel like if we're going to give it a subtitle, uh, fear itself, subtitle, subtitle, uh, Saru gets his wings. I think this is the book for it. And, um, I think if you're a Star Trek Discovery fan, it's so much, so many good things in it to be had. Um, I only read through the book proper briefly. I think I listened to it a few times on, uh, audiobook. And the guy who read it, I cannot remember his name, but he was excellent at imitating some of these voices. And I definitely heard Doug Jones and, and Sonequa Martin Green talking, <laughs> Michelle Yo on a lot of these, these interactions. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, I want to ask, like, have, who out there has read this book or listened to this book? Um, what do you think of it? What am I leaving out? Um, I know I was just trying to give an overview of it, but is there any part of the book that you feel is pretty awesome and that I should have mentioned or anything that I brushed over that you think you would like to go in in, in depth in? Please uh, send in feedback to fans at discussingtrek.com. 
You can also hit us up on all the social medias at Discussing Trek. And uh, thanks for listening. This is actually the last podcast of 2018 for for the Discussing Trek team, crew, fam. Uh, as we <laughs> wind down the year, uh, I'm looking at the clock now. There's a few hours left in in 2018. I just want to say I hope everybody had a happy year of 2018. And I wish everybody a happy new year going forward. Um, we want to make this podcast more of a group community. Um, we want the people listening to send in feedback to to um, interact with us and send send in voicemail. You know, we want to make this an interactive thing because we are fans of Star Trek as well as wanting to interact with other fans. And, you know, we're not trying to be experts, experts here. We know that there are people uh, on different spectrums of Trek. Personally, I'm more of a Voyager DS9 person, but whatever spectrum you are on, and whatever niche of that that you feel you're expert on, we feel like that opinion that you may have is valuable to us. And, you know, we're just trying to get smarter and and understand this genre that we or this property, this intellectual property that we love even more. And we are definitely excited about 2019, especially with season two of Star Trek Discovery. And um, yeah, guys, thanks for joining us. And I hope I didn't bore you too much with this review. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. And for all the guys in 2018, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.